Good evening, good listeners. This week, I'm going to try the old screen recording mechanism on Zoom. Because next Friday, as you know, we, me and James will be recording in person, therefore using voice memos. So as a farewell to Zoom, we're going to record on Zoom one last time. Now, I'm going to wait for Mr. Rockstar to get James to get on the call, and he's here. James? Hello? Is this screen recording, my friend? Sorry? This is recording right now. Uh, since next okay. week, I'll be in I thought we'll give a nice send-off to Zoom screen recording throughout the year by making this the last recording episode. Well, actually, that's besides the fact that in case I'm on holiday or if you're on holiday, then, then we'll have to do it like this. So, let's begin. Uh, if you know these episodes, you'll know how it works. This, it's going to be about economic ideology. We're going to look at the idea of the theme of the socialist socialist economic system, social democracy economic system, the well, social market economy, the free market economy, and the idea of monopolies. Uh, if you don't know much about that, well, by this, by, within 90 minutes from now, I hope you become much more informed about it. James will, of course, start asking me the questions. So let's begin. That's jolly. Um, okay, so so there's um so we're gonna start with socialism first. Now, does the idea of public ownership, to which socialism advocates for, would that be effective now? And if it would be effective, where would it be effective? Good question: Is the principle of nationalisation a sensible one? Not really. Not really. I don't. I don't. I don't advocate for national the principle of state owning. Actually, it can be if you're a fiscal conservative, because the fact is the state spends less. The state right now gives less to say the railways when British Rail owned it than it than it three times than it did when when now in the privatisation way gives three times as much. So it could bring down. Yeah. Could it? No, because yes, it's the principle. So, for example, let's let's look at this in the context of railways. Should the railways be brought into public ownership? I think most accept, for example, that Northern, Navanti, these failing, useless companies should be brought under some form of British Rail control. But how do you do that? Who runs British Rail? Is it going to be the people at the Department of Transport? Is it going to be local people in, in local councils? Who's going to run the system? And I think this is an interesting question here. Is that an issue with nationalisation? It, it abandons the profit incentive. It abandons the idea of competition and choice. It just creates a monopoly. With these yeah. nationalisation do not accept. They they do not understand this. Is that they despise the free market, private monopoly, understandable. But then they mm. add state monopoly without understanding the monopoly breeds contempt and breeds complacency. Yeah. So I don't think it's a solution. Look, there, there are look. Saying you're against nationalisation does not mean you're against public investment. There is a big case for a public investment and public regulation of, say, the buses and the railways. There is a yeah. I agree with. I would say, for example, for failing firms who are obviously useless, take Northern Rail, they should obviously be controlled by the government. Public investment. Yeah. And as it were, be run by the state. That's fine. Absolutely fine. 
And I think at some point you just say, you know, maybe do a British rail park system, but allow people to have choice. Maybe what Labour said with GD Energy, which is have British rail, but allow the private firms to compete against British rail. Yeah. Maybe that's the solution. It cannot just be a nationalisation of industry. It has to be some form of choice in the society, but accepting also that the private services are shit. Yeah. So um, that moves on to another question. Uh, so, for instance, is the egalitarianism? That is the second half of your first question, which I did not answer at all. I did a massive answer. Oh, there are some industries you have to nationalise. For example, the people who thought let's privatise British Steel need psychological assistance because obviously they're sick. If you genuinely steal being privatised is nothing but short of a complete failure. The mail service has to be under public ownership, right? So yeah. And mail, to an extent, buses, to a more of an extent, I'd renationalise the NHS because, you know, 10% of that now is privatised. I'd renationalise that. Uh, the BBC, I bring that under public control, no privacy in the BBC. So there are some things in nationalisation, but not everything. Anyway. Yeah. Legalitarianism. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so. Okay. so um when it so when it comes to socialism, there is um egalitarianism to which socialists are advocate. The, uh, which is better, uh, the equality of society is superior than the free society. Um, do you agree with that, or do you think equality is never superior to the free society? The free society is superior to any society except the welfare state society. Because that, of course, the, the social the social security society, the safety net society, is superior to all societies. But the free mm. is no. You cannot have equality and freedom. You can have equality. No. Under a communist system, where you know the state tells you what to do, and the state, you know, uses the metaphorical barcode as your foot, and the state dictates you to go to this industry, and the state sets your pay, and the state tells you what schools you can go to, and your hospital you can go to, and which doctor you can use, and which teacher you must see, and the state, and that's an equality society where we take all forms of hierarchy, all forms of achievement out, and we treat everyone the same. Now, I think that would yeah. be a society for anyone to live in. To receive a top-down command and control by the state, and to not be superior or inferior to people, you can't end competition. You can't end choice. You can't end the profit incentive. And a free society encourages choice, competition, the profit incentive. And an egalitarian society says, "No, treat everyone the same." The difference, I'd argue, is you've got to have a, a level, the safety net, that says there is yeah. a level of income which no human being in this country should go below. I'd say something like £20,000 a year should be that level of the safety net. And if anyone's below twenty grand, the state has to do whatever it can to put them back up. So yeah. that's absolutely crucial. But I say like Jack Kemp, let's make the safety net into one massive trampoline. <laughs> people can go as high as they like. And that's all for the yeah. people. It's to Understand, we're not groups, we're individual people with individual needs, and the state must address the needs. So, yeah. free society is saying we have, there's a huge role for government to work with private enterprise, to work with the labour union movement, to work with people to get change, but it's not to dictate in an egalitarian manner. Or, as Jack Ken would say, we believe in egalitarian opportunity, not egalitarian reward. Okay. Um... 
So, so um, I mean, you probably probably answered this question in your last question, but um, is the idea of price controls a sensible? I mean, you you are you are against the state control, but is the idea of price controls a sensible? If so, where could it be most cost effective? Where would it be the most effective? And where could there be supplements to providers? Absolutely, price controls are sensible. I think everyone would say right now with the Russia-Ukraine crisis. That some form of massive cuts in prices via price controls are perfectly sensible. And before yeah. I said, in a free society, that does not mean the state suddenly ceases to exist or ceases to act. If right now, where the price of a petrol has gone up from 126 pence a litre to 161 pence a litre, or food yeah. in the last 12 months has gone from £54 per shopping basket to like £80 per shopping basket, for instance then it's quite obvious to anyone with brains the state has to come in and say, hold on, is this because of Ukraine or are you just exploiting the crisis? And if you're exploiting the crisis, price control for you. So I agree with the principle of price control because it holds prices down. But equally, I'd say, well, if you're going to do price control, you then got to do price support for the providers, mainly the farmers, you know, mainly farmers. You've got to have... 80% of their expenditures being covered by the state. So you can yeah. That's the only way. You can't do price controls and then do nothing for the provider. Or do everything for the provider and nothing for the consumer. There has to be mandatory price controls. The average shopping basket doesn't cost more than £40. But then say to the farmers, we'll cover 80% of your expenditures. So basically you can keep your family farm. And also, yeah. farmers produce a surplus crop to give to the shops so we can reduce prices down as well. But no, I'm not against price controls by any means, providing they're actually enforced price controls and they're not like off-gen price controls, which keep seeing bills go by 80%, 90% for the last six, seven years, really. Price controls in okay. that's what I'm for. Yeah. Are you reading the questions off your phone or you just trying to pass them out? It was going to be drone on like a pit. To like... No, 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 I'm reading the questions off my phone. That's the whole reason why. Okay, so is the welfare state in principle a sound concept, and does it and does it need reform? I should hope the first an- the first question is an answer. Yes, it is a sound concept. Of course it is. No, of course it is because you know anyone who's like me who studies the history will know why we create a welfare state. We have to create a welfare state with children in slums. We create a welfare state with elderly people dying three years after their retirement. We had mothers not being able to feed their children. You know, so of course the well, the idea that the state must assist people in need is a sound concept. And if you don't think it's a sound concept, then either you don't know your history or you're just a prick. But yeah, and I've never met a single person who doesn't. And look, I think every government in the last forty-five years has failed on welfare reform. All of them, the possible exception of tax credit, which I thought was a resounding brilliant idea from Gordon Brown. No government has grasped welfare reform because no government wants to. If, if Social Security in America is the third rail of politics, I don't know, the NHS is the third rail of British politics. Mm. If you that institution, you'll get beaten with sticks. Come on, <laughs> he wants to charge you for medical care. Beat him, beat him. Uh, which, of course, nobody does unless your name is Liz Truss. And, of course, she believes in that, but I don't. 
the welfare reform, we've done welfare reform many times on this podcast, but I love talking about it, and I think people don't often know about the welfare state sufficiently. There are three myths about welfare which people have to understand is bullshit. One, benefits pay more than wages. They don't. They don't. £98 a week of unemployment compensation is not the same as the nearly £600 a week of the average wage. Same thing yeah. about 250 quid a week. That's not £600 a week. Two, people choose to live on benefits. Again, that isn't true. If you're a mother with two children or a father with two children and you only earn 22 grand a year, that's not enough to raise your two children on. So you're going to need assistance. If you're a pensioner and you cannot work because you're 75 years old, what are you going to have to do? Yes, you're saving, but also assistance. You know, you're disabled. Are we just going to scream, get off your arse and work? No, of course we're not going to do that. You have to assist people. It's a part of a moral society. So, and thirdly, thirdly, we spend too much on welfare. No, we spend a lot on pensions, and pensions is 70% of the welfare budget. But if you're going to provide pensions to every single elderly person above 65, then of course it's going to cost 140 billion quid. So, yeah. Anticipated. Now let's broach the welfare question. Should able-bodied people who are able to work, i.e. not over 65, under 21, disabled, not a carer, not disabled, physical or mentally, should they be required to work? Yes. Should they receive welfare if they refuse to take a job? Yes. But should that job be tailored to their local residence, i.e. so if a person lives in Bolton, they don't have to drive all the way down to Warrington for their job? Of course. You know, yeah. you can be sensible about these things. Trouble is, people on the right who do well, who advocate welfare reform, tend not to be sensible about these things and tend to be very callous and very insensitive. And but everyone on the left says, if you don't believe in universal income, you're heartless. Yeah, I would say welfare reform in that we put the able-bodied to work, and we put them in good-paying trade unionized jobs, so they don't have to get any supplements from the state. But for the non-abled, for the children, the child benefit, £30 a week, tax credits, you're going to fight £3,000. For the disabled people, you provide £200 a week supplements. For the pensioners, under £6 a week, triple lock. But you also provide food supplements uh, for £35 a week, energy rebates of 58% energy costs, 50% energy costs, and change the formula of housing payments to 15% of income. No one gets kicked out of their house. Yeah. Um, so the final question of socialism um, is the idea of economic planning. Sorry. Oh shit! You actually did five. Time five. And keep going. Yeah, is the idea of economic planning so that governments have a regulate industry? Um, is it a sound idea? If they shouldn't be nationalised, anyways, is it? Is it the state? Is the state the best regulator? Economic planning is sensible thing. This is an interesting question because economic planning has benefits. When we did economic planning after the Second World War in the 50s and 60s, we averaged a growth rate of 4.5%. We're now averaging a growth rate of about 1.1%. So, you know, we, yeah. were, we were averaging financial surpluses and balance of payment surpluses. Financial surpluses in that we don't, we're borrowing less than we take, we're taking in more than we're spending, so we don't have to borrow anything. And balance trade services in that we're selling more than we're importing. Yeah. And if you want, if you want the deficit to zero and a booming economy, 
there is a case for government taking the active role in any industry. But economic planning can only occur if you have a nationalised industry. And I'd argue what needs to be done is you need the profit incentives, competition, but you also need the state taking a 20% public stake in all industries. Mm. Then government can regulate. Government, the union, private enterprise working together. So I think economic planning is sensible, but it can't be like the 50s where you simply just nationalise the industry and then decide to regulate it. We have to uh, work within the private framework and say, what can we yeah. Not just tax breaks and tax cuts, but what can we do for actual, go to the workers and say, what can we do for your, to increase your productivity? Go to the providers and say, what can we do to make you sell more to this firm? Yeah. yeah. That's the role for the state, is to be an assisting force, not the enabling force. It's assist change and assist people and not to dictate the people yeah exactly so um well that's socialism so should we go into social democracy but james does the fact that social democracy is such a high value on the welfare state weaken its hold on a viable economic ideology um not necessarily because i mean they do they, they try to take both they, they do try to take both sides they try to take the socialist side and the capitalist side and combine them together it's really like the Lib Dems of of the economics of the economic situation. Um, do I think? Do I think? The, I mean, how as you said earlier, for the past forty five years, governments have been failing in the welfare state, and I don't think the welfare state in itself is a bad idea. It's a very good idea, not on the on the contrary. But I think, but I think what needs to be taken into account is that the idea that social democracy um, puts too much emphasis against the advancement of the welfare state. They're very pro-welfare state, because they don't focus on it entirely like the socialism does. They don't focus it on entirely like other uh, economic ideologies do. And that itself will weaken its hold on social on socialism. The fact that it, the, the fact, not on socialism, on the, on the welfare state will weaken its viable economic ideology. Not because it focuses on, uh, not because it puts a high value on the welfare state, it's because it doesn't do it right. It doesn't do it correctly. That's what weakens it of uh, being a viable economic ideology, not the fact that it values it. Values it. Any economic ideology does not focus on profits and competition. It's not a successful one full stop. And that does not mean the state can't be profited and competitive, because if you look at British Rail in the, in the early 80s with the InterCity 122, I've got that wrong, but it was a new train they developed in the, in the early 80s that radically changed British Rail for the better. And for the first time ever, British Rail actually became a profitable enterprise. If you look at the Gyro Bank, which is a publicly owned bank, one in four people had savings at the Gyro Bank. It was actually very profitable, like, until Mrs. Thatcher privatised it. So, but any idea, with well, the welfare state, any issue with the welfare state, this can be an argument made, is that it encourages dependence. And mm. you create a dependent class. But then I'd say to those people very simply this, well, if you do your idea of charities, that makes them even more fucking dependent, because if the charity closes down, then where are they going to go to? And they can't do Ronald Reagan, yeah. well, we'll just look into ourselves, because they'll look at a very empty stomach and a loose bo- and a very slim body, and, and they'll look at their small bank account. They can't look at themselves. So the state needs to assist you. Yeah, exactly. The state has to encourage people to take up useful work. 
and I'd say, for example, for disabled people, if they can work, the state could say, look, here's £400 a week. This is not going to change no matter what. We will put your food stuff on change numbers, but we'll take care of you. Don't worry about that. But if you're willing to work, then not only will you get a decent wage, you'll also pay 25% above your wage. If you're paid 28, 30 grand a year, we'll give you another seven and a half grand. We say that same thing to single mothers, to single parents as well. If you're willing to work, we'll give you a supplement on top of your wage, on top of the benefits you'll receive. Provide incentives for you to become productive members of society. That's going to be fucking hard to do it. It shouldn't be the number one goal of welfare reform. The number one goal of welfare reform is to eliminate poverty. That's yeah. the number one welfare reform, is to make the welfare state financially sustainable and to eliminate poverty from this country. That's the two goals. Yeah. But how we get to those goals has to be through some form of enterprise, where we say to people, if you genuinely cannot work, don't. Because we don't need unproductive people working when you need is care and being cared for, which we must. But if you, if it's a lack of skills, if it's a lack of education, if it's a lack of hope, if it's the fact you haven't got any opportunities where you live, well, we'll fix that. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next. Let's move on to the next question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What do you want to come back? I do, do. No, no, you can. You can. Those further to the left of the spectrum have claimed repeatedly that social democracy is sold out to the core values of socialism. Oh, sold out the core, not either. The core values. <laughs> Yes, we socialists are complaining that you've sold your values to us. <laughs> about the core values of socialism to placate powerful capitalist interests, is this the case? Oh, piss off. Bullshit. And this, I feel like um, Adam Hills on the last leg when he had that thing, that bullshit button where he did it and he goes, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I agree. I agree. It's not the case. It's not the case at all. Um, I mean, there, there are situations where you could have uh we'll come on to this later tony blair for instance who was a who i who marked himself as a social democratic did have some capitalist tendencies i think gordon brown was john smith was blair was either was more of a social market to free market conservative in terms of his but in 1997 he did campaign as himself as a social democrat uh, social democratic so didn't he? but blair was definitely a social market believer gordon brown john smith who were social democrats? No, well, uh, well, anyway, um, we'll, we'll get onto this later in a second. But um, to to answer your question, um, I think I think there are some situations where it does go to the capitalist area. But I mean, that's that's a very far and few between. I mean, you get, you know, I mean, most of the time they agree with the welfare state. They agree with um, social democracy. Also agrees with public ownership in major industries as well. Um, so there, I mean, those two main things are social in itself. Um, again, they don't they don't agree with the comprehensive schools. They they don't they don't uh, sorry they agree, or which they do or they don't. I can't remember which way which way around they do. But it's um but they don't agree with the elitist mentality that it proposes. The comprehensive schools want to outphase the private schools. Yeah, so sorry, sorry that that was it. Yeah, they 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 don't agree with the elitist mentality that um that um the right wing of the spectrum uh parts taking. Um, now there are there are some capitalist tendencies. They do believe in a freer market than the socialists. Socialists want complete control over the market most of the time. There are situations where they they do allow, but most socialist countries accept that it shouldn't be a free market. It should be majority owned by the government. Um, um, but I think um, but I think when it comes to social democracy, they do allow the private sector in, 
but they don't allow it to the extent that the social free market, the social market will, or you know the monopolistic market will, or the free market capitalism will, because they won't, because it's it believes that the state knows its people best, and it believes that the state will know how to how to uh, give the necessities to the people, and which they do. So how can bureaucrats in Whitehall understand someone in in, in Bolton West or Don Valley? You can't. Exactly. So, uh, so, but that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's what. That's why it won't become such a. Uh, uh, that's why that's that's one of the failings of the social democracy that it doesn't it doesn't give the private sector the chance that it could, if you were a social uh, the social market or the uh, free market capitalist. You want to transfer slowly from the values of capitalism to the values of socialism. They just want to do it with capitalist methods. Now, in my mm. view. Religion can never work. In the same way that monopolies on the market, free market end are a disgrace to the human race. Because you cannot have a monopoly on anything. The idea, for example, they say they reject the elitist stuff. What do you private schools? That's a good use of our time, isn't it? In five years in government. Yeah, shut down all the schools, shut them down. Well, that's what they're going to do. That's going to lead to a lot of people coming into the state sector, which will then lead to an increase in class size, a reduction in resources, and a reduction in funding. Yeah. Like we talked about private schools. People, you know, saying, Labour saying, we're, we're going to end the private school subsidies and want VAT on, well, VAT on private school fees and try and close them down. Well, actually, there's nothing. What you need is more choice in the school. First of all, the, real, with the reason privatisation of education can never be done now is because if we look to the academies, which have failed, and failed spectacularly in their incompetence, they have shown that why we can never privatise any school. And bear in mind, people like me advocate for the free market in education are not advocating we charge students to a school. We are not advocating that we should have Apple running the schools. We are not saying this. We are simply saying, why not have all schools become grant-maintained? So it's 9,000 pounds of people, but you get it for your pupils. So the more people that more people that like your school, the more funding you get. The shitter you are, the less you get. That sort of system where we actually encourage standards to go up. And ultimately we allow choice, i.e., if you are poor, you should have the option to go to a private school and we will and we will transfer the nine thousand pounds of per people funding we spend on your state per people and transfer that to the private sector. We can go to a private school, an independent school. And that idea of saying, listen, yes, fund the state school. James and I, if you remember episode 20 of the podcast, dear listeners, when Torin Wilkins, my great friend, was on, James and I spent 20 minutes shouting at each other over school vouchers. You can invest in the state system, you can put more resources in it, you can cut the class sizes, you can rebuild the schools, as you should, as you should. But you have to give people choice. Because otherwise, how will the state system be effective? I think that's the question is asked. But here, here we go now. Here we go with the. Have you lost your mind? What? Uh, well, no. I, I, we we won't start the argument again over this over state school vouchers, uh, because um, I had episode twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, and so on. Oh, we've been arguing. We've been arguing about it. Somehow we managed to bring it into every single every single argument that's existed. But um, um, but I think I think I I do agree with a majority of what you just said. Then a majority. They're, you ruined it in the last part of it, but oh, uh, all but one provision. Oh, all, all, all but one. Yeah, but social democracy could work. It's a it's a situation. 
It's a situation of how it's implemented. It won't. I, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm, it wouldn't work overnight. You can't. You can't just make a country right. Your social democracy. Uh, you're now a social democracy. It just wouldn't work like that. I think. Think over time, it could work. I think. I think over time, you need to build up trust with the government. That, that's what you need for social democracy. And at the moment, this country has no trust in the Labour Party. Has no trust, especially has no trust in the Conservatives. Has no trust in the Lib Dems, and it also has no trust in the SNP because they want to uh, go against the Supreme Court's ruling. The city of Chester. With our sixty-one percent on a on a December by-election, would disagree. No, obviously, obviously, but Chester was Chester was a safe seat beforehand, though, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think increasing a majority in Chester of all fucking places. Yeah. No, no, no. It's a great victory, but I do understand what you mean, which is that you have to rebuild trust in government, like yeah. did, or President Roosevelt did, or say someone like Harold Wilson did. So I agree with that. But I think the issue is, is what kind of social democracy are we espousing for? Are we going for the regulated capitalism, where the state in effect regulates the capitalist system and puts controls on it, like Tony Crossland was saying, who was Jim Callaghan's foreign secretary? Or are we going to go for a system where we transition from the free society to the controlled society, i.e. where we go from free market competition to the state owning all industries? I think, I think it... I did Tony Crossland. Because you need government regulation of things, you just don't want government running things. I think I, I think it must be the first one. I think it, I think it can't be the second one. Um, also, also, what you're seeing now is a massive distrust from the public, from not only against the government but against major corporations as well. You see, you see this all the time with like the usage of Facebook and the whistleblowers coming out from Facebook or now Meta, whatever they whatever changed the name every four minutes. So, um, lay. Uh, people aren't trusting them. Instagram again. They had a massive scandal over. I mean, these are all over by Facebook. But um, but you have but you, and then you have people like Amazon. Amazon stealing your data. Google stealing your data, and so on and so on. And people are less putting less and less trust into these big corporations. And when we come to this, when we get down to the monopoly part of it, but corporations aren't trusted. I think if you believe in the free society, the free society is not saying let's transition from government to massive corporations. Yeah, government. To government working with small enterprises and unions yeah. and successful corporations. The best business in this country, except for Volta Next Country, which is the greatest business of all, of course, is John Lewis. John Lewis are the only department store that survived COVID. Why? So there's one of the highest workforces, the lowest rate of sacking, the lowest rate of working of leaving John Lewis, because it offers the most benefit to his work and it treats the work like human beings. Mm. Yeah. Um, crash, selfish is doesn't is not as big as it once was, but John Lewis still survived because it treated yeah. and that that shows you know this John Lewis is still a capitalist company. They still believe in enterprise and competition and profit, but they also say people work for us, treat them as good as family, treat them with compassion, and what happens? Productivity goes upwards. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but there is also there is also the situation. Where you have um, where where you need you need to work in tandem really, and social democracy. With no with the with the with the with the state owned and the private, they have to work together. Uh, sorry, work in tandem. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Okay. But I think amongst many, where I misheard James, and James not able to hear what the hell I'm on about. Or, yes, I have no idea what he's on about. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. In order to not avoid one thing, which is fine, I do the same thing too. 
Go on, keep going. Anyway, so I'll keep, before I was rudely interrupted, um, <laughs> um, I think uh, they, ha- they have to work together. And I think social democracy is viable for that. I think social democracy can have these two working together. But it, com- but it comes down to the situation of, again, who's in charge and how is it implemented. Because what will happen, inevitably, is if a Labour party, if a Labour government gets another, let's say, 12 years, like the Conservatives have had for 12 years now, so let's say, let's say, let's say get 12, 13, 14, 15 years, as usually the case of British politics, you have a long period of Conservatives and a long period of Labour, a long period of Conservatives and a long period of Labour. Um, so this long period of Labour, if we, by the end of it, get to a sort of democracy phase, what will then happen is the Conservatives will presumably get elected and then wipe the entire situation, uh, they wipe out the entire effect of the not necessarily, because you'd argue the Attlee government was a social democratic government, and what they did, they had publicly owned industries, private owned industries, a mixed economy, and because it was so successful in the 45-51 administration, you had Rab Butler writing the industrial charter, Winston Churchill speaking about it, and the Tories did not denationalise or privatise one industry, except Well, one- you could you could argue you could argue that it was consensus yeah, politics yeah. back then. The only industry they privatised in the 45, sorry, the 51-64 government was steel. The one industry you should never privatise. No, but yeah, there was there was consensus politics back then, which did play a massive role in people not doing it. People were too scared to go against what happened after because of the war. Because the Atlee government was so fundamental. You saw the nationalisation, mm. the nationalisation of energy, the nationalisation of hospitals and schools, and all these sorts of things. Because he saw, and because the nationalisations were so popular, because they were so effective, the, the Tories could not say, well, we're going to just privatise all these things again, because they would not work. And I'd argue, in the same way Margaret Thatcher created a free market economy that we've all agreed to for 43 years, with the exception of Jeremy Corbyn's five years of leadership, a bit less exception now with Labour, okay, it's because it's so fundamental change is agreed to. Mm, yeah. But the, 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 you could, I, do not, I think if Labour went to some form of socialist economy, the Tories could not get back into power and just revert, privatise all the industries and nationalise Remember, it took, no. it took them 15 years to privatise British Rail. In 1990, they got into power. It took them 15 years to privatise British Rail, 11 years to privatise the buses, sorry, 14 years to privatise the buses. It took them 10 years to break off TVW Stranglehold on port. It took them 9 years to privatise British Gas in 1986. So, hmm. you take time to privatise. I mean, I only have to be right, but never mind. Yeah. Right. So should we move on? Yeah, just move on to the next question. Was the dear leader, was he more of a social democrat or was he more of a cap- was he more of a socialist or a capitalist in his thinking? Definitely a capitalist, I think, first. Most definitely. I don't think, even though he wasn't, I mean, even though he wasn't the socialist party, if you want to put it that, um, he definitely he definitely fought capitalist first and uh, social second. I remember I remember multiple times. I mean, there was jokes made about him as the time time issue. That was just a Tory somehow managed to get up to the leader of the Labour Party. Um, but he definitely was more liberal than the Conservatives. Definitely. Um, I think I think if we go to place if if you look at it back in time, Tony Blair shouldn't have been no he shouldn't have been in the Labour Party for his ideology. He should have been. He should have been in the Labour Party as the leader. I agree with him. He, he got the Labour Party into a good place. But as if you actually take his ideologies on his own, he should be a Lib Dem. Tony Blair would be much more comfortable 
in David Steele's Liberal Party or Roy Jenkins' Social Democrat Party than he would have been, say, in Michael Foote's Labour Party. Yeah. And between us, I think a lot of But, um, <laughs> would you like to repeat what you just said to the audience? I'd rather not. Uh, I'd rather He's a Lib Dem, everyone. He's a Lib Dem. No, I'm I'm Labour to the like, core, but the Liberal, the, the Lib Dems, think about the Lib Dems is, if you look at, say, Charles Kennedy's Lib Dem party, or Paddy Ashdown's Lib Dem party, or Vince Cable's mm. Lib Dem that is miles to the left of the clowns we have leading the Lib Dems today. That was Charles yeah. Kennedy's manifesto, I think for 95% of Labour voters would read that and say, sensible ideas, sensible. It's why, you know, why there was so much uh, stress for Labour voters. Do you vote Mr Blair or do you vote for Liberal in a protest vote? And obviously we stuck with Labour because we don't want Michael Howard coming to charge, but it's a question. I mean, I mean, one of the few things Tony Blair tried to do with the Liberals was he wanted the Labour Party and the Liberals to merge as one party. Yeah. I think it would have changed politics on its head. They would have created a real yeah. party. Uh, but do I think, I think Blair was, you know, Blair first of all was much more comfortable in the Liberal Party. But I think Tony Blair in Germany, it would have become comfortable in the Christian Democrat Party of Angela Merkel and Helmut Kohl. Because Blair is a social market. He believes in... Yeah. in Market with the welfare state, he believes in the proper enterprising motives, and ultimately, Britain had 10 years of economic growth above 2%, five budget surpluses, a low debt, and the only country to, for the 10 year period that continuously invested in schools and hospitals above the rate of inflation. Mm. Yeah, I think he was a great leader, absolutely. I think he was a fantastic prime minister, absolutely. I mean, Blair is exactly like Bill Clinton in this respect. That President Clinton, if he did not decide to fuck Monica Lewinsky on his desk during the 1995 government shutdown, would have gone alongside with Roosevelt and Reagan as the three great presidents of American history. Same with Blair. If Tony Blair had sticked to the first half of the Labour government, minimum wage, short start, devolution, tax credits, investments in schools and hospitals, and had not done foundation hospitals, tuition fees, the war in Iraq, 90 days without charge, he could have gone down as the greatest prime minister along with Atlee, Churchill and Thatcher. You said Thatcher was one of the greatest Prime Ministers. On her terms. On her own terms. Notice that whilst I put my five days on symbol, it's Clement Lee number one. It's Gordon it's Tony Blair number two. Harold Wilson, Winston Churchill, Harold Macmillan in that order. No, no, so, 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 sorry Dad, I'm taking your quote completely out of context and writing it down. Thatcher, one of the greatest Prime Ministers of all time, according to Dow Khan. At at six, at four forty five p.m. the second the third of December. Yeah, but on her own terms, she was. Her own terms was to create a free market. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody's own terms is the greatest prime minister. I'm sure Liz Truss believes on her own terms she was the greatest prime minister after fifty days. All her policies got reversed, so she couldn't have been. But Thatcher Attlee was because Attlee radically transformed Britain for the better, in my view. But Thatcher transformed into a free market, low tax, small state economy. Her vision. Yeah. Her vision was upheld for the next 40 years. So her, you can't say she wasn't a great parenter when what she wanted, which we think is enormously batshit in the head, and it is batshit in ideology, was still implemented by both parties. In yeah. But Clem Attlee's vision of socialism was then implemented by the Tories under Churchill and Macmillan, then implemented by Wilson, implemented by Hughes, then implemented by Wilson again. 
Yeah. Okay. So. Transformatively shit. Granted, but transformative nevertheless. So we move on to the social market then. Yeah. Well, we've got two more questions. I'll I'll take this one question. I'll take this one question. What what will social democracy end up in a financial crisis? Sorry. Will social democracy always end up in a financial crisis? Do social democratic governments, because of their policies, does it always have to lead to a financial crisis? Um. No. I don't think so. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I mean, it has it has been quite unlucky when you've had you know Howard Wilson and uh, and um, uh, James Callahan who came along in this financial crisis of winter of discontent. Um, and it, also it's quite unlucky. But I mean, I mean, with Gordon Brown, you could argue maybe. But I mean, Gordon Brown wasn't his fault. Everybody, everybody knows it wasn't his fault that that the banks crashed. Um, but I think it wasn't at the same time. It was in that his greatest policy in financial terms was Bank of England independence, and he decided then to take away the bank's right to regulate the banks, which was an enormously absurd idea. But it wasn't in that Lehman Brothers, in that Gordon Brown spending on schools and hospitals did not lead to Lehman Brothers buying mortgage-backed securities. The Lehman's crash in the economy was not his fault. His refusal to regulate the Bank of England to regulate the banks was. But Gordon Brown's transfer gets 9.2 out of 10 for me. Okay. But I think. I think, but I think, um, but you look at Clemenazzi, arguably one of the greatest uh, social democrats of all time. Clemenazzi. There's no, I mean, there wasn't really a financial crisis under his term. Financial crisis, a devaluation of the pound, rationing of food, but also the NHS, unemployment insurance, carbon. Yeah, but I mean, you would, you could, I mean, I think the massive counter to that, Dowd, is World War Two was a year ago. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't, you, you don't, you don't get that excuse for John Major, do you? John Major doesn't have that excuse when he was through a financial crisis. He didn't have the excuse. Oh, World War Two happened fifty years ago. You go to ERM, blame yourself, hang your head in shame, John, hang your head in shame for John. Uh, at least, yeah, okay, World War Two is a viable, is it? Is a good enough excuse? Yeah, but I think, but um, but I don't, I don't think necessarily it would always end up. But I, th- I think again, it's the way people run it. Uh, pe- people say communism will never work. Obviously, I'm not a communist and I don't agree with the communist thing. But, I mean, if on paper, if you acted for communism on paper, genuine on paper, it could work. I'm not saying it will, but it's never worked properly because the leaders don't do it properly. Nothing nothing ever gets done properly with the, with the actual system. I'm not, I don't like communism. I think it's an awful, awful ideal. But I think on paper, it's like multiple things. On paper, uh, on paper, Qatar, Qatar should have beaten Ecuador, but they didn't. So, because it, it rips away the incentive, it rips away the profit margin, it rips away independent individualism, it rips away the broader structure of a free society, and it does not allow revenues to go up. What's the old quote? Capitalism could spend more than communism. That's why we ended the Cold War, because we outspend them on arms. Communism as a system is like unregulated capitalism. It couldn't work, because ultimately it's going to screw too many people. Yeah, no, but I think I think I think um, obviously obviously it would never work. But I mean, on paper it, it could work. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying it sh- it wouldn't, but it could. Um, but again, again, social democracy, social democracy has worked in the past, and there's no argument against that. It has worked in the past. But I think I think the way that most recent leaders are advocating for it, like Jeremy Corbyn, who was advocating for it, they were advocating it in the wrong way. Jeremy was not Jeremy was a socialist. He, no, 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 no. He, he, he definitely, yeah, he was a socialist. He was a socialist, but he couldn't be a socialist straight away. 
he couldn't go straight from that to that. He was advocating for social democracy to then move to socialist situation. He was on the left-wing end of social democracy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because he couldn't be a socialist because nobody would elect him. He was a socialist straight straight from what? Straight from all of that. Um, but um, and that's proving because in 2019 when he actually ran in a proper socialist platform, he got demolished. And 2017 when he ran as a bit of a... Well, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say the right of socialism, you know what I mean, or the left of social democracy. He he got he absolutely trumped in the polls. He did quite well. Twelve million votes. Twelve million votes. Forty percent Quite a remarkable victory. Uh, the two great things social democracy has given us, I'll take now. It's the welfare state, the NHS. Yeah, you, yeah, the welfare state, the NHS. You could also put the open university as well. Oh, yeah, very good. The open university is very good. Uh, how about upper class shipbuilders? You must praise the upper class shipbuilders because in 1935, the upper class shipbuilders had one in four ships from the world came from the upper class shipbuilders in Glasgow. <laughs> How about the steel? That's why steel, you know, manufacturing. And that's what's right. The social market. Go on, James. So it's a combination of the free markets with the welfare state, I found, as it's within the idea of the social market economy. Well, this is the Gerhard Schroeder phrase, isn't it? But you believe in free markets with the welfare state. Uh, yes, of course it is. Look, everyone believes in the free market. Everyone believes in the idea that we must have private competition. We must have wealth being accumulated. But we must have innovation mm. to create new ideas. But I've never met a person who does not also believe that people in poverty must be taken care of and helped. And ensure that they do not live in poverty. And the welfare state fulfills that. Both need reform. Because we don't have a free market at the moment. We have monopolies running this country and it doesn't work. But we do need a market, mm-hmm. a market but we also need welfare state. So, yeah, it's a very good ideology. Yeah, okay, okay I, I agree. Um, also, much more also, would you say, does it incorporate the right principles from the free market? It does, because it incorporates the idea of competition, the idea of businesses should compete against each other, incorporates the idea of innovation, because you must create new products for your consumers to buy. It creates profit motives because it's low taxation, so you can create as much profit as you require. But it also has the idea of higher productivity. But this is not the social market. It's higher productivity by paying your workers more. So social market economies believe in the trade union movement. Because they say bring the unions in to keep workers' wages high in order to keep productivity higher. Which countries that yeah. want the highest wage rate in Europe? Germany. And which countries want the highest productivity rate in Europe? Germany. Uh, see, an obvious, there's an obvious link there, I, I think. There's a link there. You know, you pay your workers well, you get good productivity out of them. Which country is one of the worst productivity rates in, in the developed world? Us. Which country has a constant wage stagnation around the world? Us. The link is clear there as well. There's a clear link there as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it does. It uncovers the perfect principles of free market. Competition, choice choice as well, because in the social market, there are many companies to choose from, and we must have greater choice. Innovation, but also productivity by treating work as well. So yes, it does. Yeah. I'm about social market economies, because I believe in them passionately. Yeah. Um, so, what's the free... Since the main thrust of the idea is to allow the state to regulate and preserve the safety net, isn't it a best dynamic? Isn't it, isn't it a best dynamic for the state? Sorry, I worded that question wrong. Uh, in the, in the last end, yes, of course it is. Look, social the social marketers like me believe the state has a very important role to play. 
people like me who are capitalists and social markets do not say the state can do nothing. The state can do a lot in assisting change, assisting innovation, assisting low prices. But it has to let industry be industry as well. We don't need silly regulations. We need to review all the regulations with the aim of helping workers, helping profits, helping consumers. But can it be effective for us? Yes, because if it deserves the welfare state, and if it, and there are basic in a social market economy, social market economy, there are functions which can only be done by the state: healthcare, defence, welfare state, environment policy, and transport policy. These are things done by the state. But what it says is that private enterprise leave it to them. The unions can defend the workers. The state can regulate, can give enough power to the unions, so the unions are genuinely powerful and that wield influence. But you leave industry to industry with regulations, some cases price controls, some cases uh, employee ownership. If, if we all follow the John Lewis model a bit more with trade unionism, a form of like employee capitalism, we would see the best of capitalism would then survive for the next hundred years. In the same way capitalism survived in the 19th century and the late 20th century, capitalism can survive now for a hundred for the rest of the century if it becomes employee-oriented capitalism. So in other words, instead of having massive profits at the top for wealthy people to live with their wealthy lives, we give some of it back either through workhood control, ownership or some form, or maybe even just by the trade unionism. Or maybe half of wages and when you're in crisis cut the bonus and not the wage yeah we've got to have some form of really as George Butter the kind of gentler nation where we, we think yes of profits yes of enterprise yes of competition we think about the people who are also working for the company as well yeah I agree so how is the social market economy different from a mixed economy how how is the social market economy different from a mixed economy? Because in the mixed economy it says there are some industries that are totally private, some industries that are totally public. The social market economy says, yes, you've got the essential private is a public industries, healthcare, defense, environment, welfare. But there are most industries you need privatized ownership with public investment, public regulation and union. So Take energy, for instance, and the social market would say, they up all the energy firms in the UK, start again. This is where my idea of the social market, it's a mix of free marketism and social content, which is the idea of have 15 regions, five, six, seven energy companies, and then say, compete. But price controls effectively enforced, and there are genuine pay for the employee, and there's choice for the consumer. That's a social market idea. It's the idea that you shouldn't have a monopoly or anything. You should have a competition for sports goods, a competition for food, a competition for these things. Not competition in that it's like with the, 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 the survival of the fittest, but saying, why not have 10 different supermarkets, not just two? Why not have 50 energy companies, not just three? It forces people, and the mixed economy says, no, 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 have some private, some public, and leave it at that. The social market is not. Yeah. Encourage businesses to compete against each other because that's the way you get innovation. Yeah, the only way to get innovation is through genuine, real competition. But the state being the safety net and the state and the union being the assisting force. Yeah, and um, and Amazon warehouses where they basically treat workers as pieces of meat. But John Lewis type of companies 
where you, you have employee-owned capitalism, where the where yes, you have the, the board making the decisions and managers managing companies, but where employees are treated as human beings with decent rates of pay, job security, and an ownership of the company are not being treated as pieces of meat. Hmm. So, so on, on on the role of that in itself, um, would you say, for instance, when it comes to um, the social market, um, does the idea of the social market economy really just compensate capitalism or regulated uh, capitalism, as uh, Tony Clarkson called it? Or compassionate capitalism. Yeah, compassionate. So, it's alright. You get it right. Isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. It is basically capitalism with human face on it. I mean, and look, most people are capitalists. Most people believe in making money, in getting on in life, in innovating, in reforming, in doing things. Very few people in this country are socialists in the purest sense. But there are very few yeah. who do not believe in the NHS, who do not believe in the welfare state as a principle, who do not believe in public schools, who do not believe in the state controlling the environment policy, or the state running transport. But most people also believe in making profits, high wages, and, the, and that's what capitalism encourages. And the social market acknowledges there are certain things you can never get rid of. Right? Yeah. What have what have competition? It basically is make as much profit as you like, make as much productivity as you like, but treat people with dignity and respect. This is the German Christian Democrat philosophy, the CDU. And what's the benefit of the CDU? Well, since nineteen seventy nine, the CDU, the Christian Democrat Union, has been in power. For if I'm correct, 11, 12, so uh, 40, have been in power for 31 of the first of the 40, last 43 years. Mm. Helmut Kohl, Angela Merkel, two of the most, the most effective chancellors in Germany, Christian Democrats. And they've been running the country for 31, wait, have I got it right? So wait, Schmidt was there since 1982, Gerhardt was there since 97 to 05, so eight years, 11 years. Cole's been there since last year, so it's 12 years, 43, so yeah, that's oh right, 31 years. Because the ideology works. The ideology yeah. would believe in what Ken Clark calls free markets and social justice. They developed 18 years of power from 1951 to 1997. Of the 63 years, 66 years, the Labour Party's only been in power for. Oh my god! 56! Labour joining my feet. 13 years, plus the 4 years of Mr. Heath, plus the 18 years of Margaret Thatcher. 35 of those years, Labour had been in power. Really? I think the Tories have been in power. Wait, what was I? 19. Wait. Oh shit, I got my mask on. The thirty three of the last four of the forty of the forty six years between nineteen fifty one to nineteen ninety seven, the Conservative Party was in power for thirty five of the forty of the forty six of those years. Yeah. Because they believe in free markets with the social justice element. That's the truth. The the, the one period where the Conservative Party increased the majority in every election was nineteen fifty one, nineteen fifty five, nineteen fifty nine. It went from 17 to 60 to 100 seat majority. It was a free market with the social justice. I mean, why did the Tories get nearly crushed in 87? Three million unemployed. 
If it wasn't for Falklands, that should have got crushed in 83. With the Labour Party, yeah. the leader of the Labour Party, you could not have the SDP Liberal split. And if Falklands didn't happen, along with that circumstance, with no far left Labour Party manifesto, Labour would have walked it in 83 because Thatcher was abandoning the core tenets of conservatism, which is you encourage profit, you encourage enterprise, but you look after people who've fallen behind. Hmm. Don't just, don't really conservatism now, conservatism is founded on cruelty nowadays, where we we're basically, we, we embrace those who've done well and we beat those who've done poorly. Yeah. And those who've done poorly and say, why have you failed? Why are you not enterprising? Why have you not made money? How can we help you to do so? As social marketers, yeah. the solution is not to sit here and ostracize and denigrate, but say, how can we help? What is, and this is actually why I say this is role for government. It's the role of government and enterprise say, well, how do we reach out to those in the urban communities, in the inner cities, in the depressed communities, in the council estates? How do we take enterprise to council estates, to the inner city communities? How do we take it? How do we create um, success in the same schools? And this is where I disagree with liberalism, because liberalism, socialism says, well, if a child cannot be able to read, don't tell him that because it's bullying the child. So that I say, sod it, if a child cannot read, you've got to help them read, otherwise they're going to have 70 years of their life illiterate. Mm. And that's what that's very liberalism and socialism says, you cannot tell people they are failing because it will reduce their confidence. Which I say, shut up, you've got to tell them they're failing, yeah, tell them they're failing, but show them how they can succeed. Break it down for them. So do this and do this, and we'll help you do these things to succeed. We cannot in fact, question, because the far left and the far right, when you think about it, advocate for the same philosophy. Yeah. In the same way that people on the centre-left and the centre-right broadly agree on about 70% of the, the, the things we're talking about. Anyway, so I've gone far away now from capitalism. Okay, so... So when you... um, So, I mean, this is the last question on the social market, but... Um, oh no, no, that's all of them, yeah, isn't it? Yes, it's Monopoly now. Monopoly. You have the right to get a Monopoly game. No. Nope. Yeah, exactly. No. They should not be. You should not have the right to be a Monopoly. Nope. Um, next. Next. <laughs> Do the public want Monopoly? No. Nope. No. Nope. Next question. <laughs> well, I mean, arguably they might because the whole thing's reliable. Like Asda's a Monopoly, basically. Asda's a monopoly. No, 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 no. Well, Tesco's bigger than Asda. Mm. I didn't know that. I mean, I can believe that, but I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, strictly speaking, strictly speaking, strictly speaking, a monopoly is if you control more than... I know everybody thinks it's 100% of the market is owned by you, but technically, legally speaking, it's 25%. It's well, a monopoly. It's a threshold to 75 and then shut up about it. Is, I mean, to be honest, knowing us, James, if we did that, we'd then go to one of the companies we like and say, look, I know we said 75% is the threshold, but could you control 74% and you get the next 25 companies to control 1%? And we're going to competition! <laughs> You've got 27 companies. Yeah, but they all, but they all, well, 26 of them only control 1%. What do you think? They can all control you cut them all. So we don't believe in egalitarianism. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, is there a situation where monopolies will work? Uh, I mean, no, because people, 
people will always try to find a way to compete. Um, for instance, um, it's in, it's in human nature. Oh, that's 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 gone well. Let let me do that. Um, it might might be hard. I mean, you could argue that Google's a monopoly, but I mean, for instance, a Rockefeller company in nineteen hundred that controls virtually every oil field in America until he long broke it up. That Ford, until Chevrolet came along, ran the Ford uh, motorway, and they provided good deliverance of quality because of familiarity. But equally, mm. and I agree with this actually, it's human nature to compete. Mm. So um, I don't, I don't, I don't see there really being a place where I mean, we we did this in economics the other day. We we're trying to actually find a monopoly that controls a hundred percent of the market. Something like that. Yeah. The closest we got, the closest we got was Google, really. What how do they control? Roughly, how much they control? They control about seven. No, sorry, they control about ninety percent of the market of the search engines. Because no, nobody uses Bing, do they, or Firefox? I mean, everybody. Yes, exactly. So I think I think those are the few um, the few um, cases where monopoly might work. Because I mean, I mean, it comes to a situation where you say, I don't, you don't, you don't say to your friend, oh, do you know what? I'll Bing it. You say, I Google it. Because Google's become a situation where everybody uses it. Social media companies are a monopoly per se because you've got Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. You know, the supermarkets have a monopoly per se because you've got Asda, Tesco's, Morrison's, Aldi, Lidl. Well, no, no, no because that, 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 that'll be an oligopoly then. An oligopoly is when there's multiple people owning the same, uh, owning a huge portion. So, that, so for, for instance, an oligopoly would be like a group of six, seven, like for instance, supermarkets owning like majority share of the sector. In the long term, is it breaking these companies up then? Is it breaking them up or is it just simply allowing for individual competition to allow, for example, people... Well, my my theory is, is that human beings will only do whatever is most convenient for them. Right. It is more convenient for you to go to Morrison's or Asda or Tesco's, the one down your road, rather than you go all the way to the small corner shop and then go to a different corner shop to get this one and go to a different market to get this one to get a different... That's that's why supermarkets became a thing. Because people didn't want to travel loads of places to get the exact to get loads of items. They wanted to be find it all in one place, and they could do that. They didn't. They, 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 they didn't want to go to the green grocers to get the vegetables. They didn't want to go to the butchers to get the meat. They didn't want to go to that. People still do that because they don't want the high quality. That that's what we associate them with. Now we associate butchers with high quality meats. We associate green grocers with high quality vegetables and fruits and all of that because that's 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 human nature. We only do stuff that is most convenient for us. And if it's more convenient for the human nature um, to go and say, do you know what, let's go to the supermarkets. If, if, if it didn't work, if it didn't work, we wouldn't have supermarkets. If it didn't work, we wouldn't have Google. If it didn't work, we wouldn't have Android or Apple. If it didn't work, none of these, none of these huge businesses would ever exist because we wouldn't want them. That, but I think also isn't isn't counter argument. If if it works so well, why is there such a high level of public resentment for the monopoly? Because, well, because it's not it's the way that they exploit people. That's the way people work. Because it is still more convenient for you to to I don't know search to search up what seventy eight times six in your calculator instead of sending going to your bag in your calculator. Yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Dad. Okay, fine. Ninety-eight seven times pi. You're not gonna. You're not gonna. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're not gonna. You're not gonna have the point. You're not gonna go to your cal- You're not gonna go into your bag or wherever your calculus is into your drawer. Get the calculator. Type the number. Just easier for you. Go on your phone. Just quickly search it, because 
offer offers if you if you want if you want to know a recipe for I don't know making a cake, you wouldn't go you wouldn't go to your sh- uh, bookshelf or you wouldn't go to your local library, get a cookbook, and then come back home and then and then use the ingredients. Well, here's how to chop meat. I don't know how to chop meat. I want to make cake. But I mean, yeah, exactly. Would it be illegal if I gave name drop to a good a good uh, chain of in Bolton that can mix green grocing and butchering in one go for low prices? No, I don't think it'd be illegal, Dad. It'd be a bit product placement's not illegal. Okay. Well, we this podcast is not sponsored by anybody because it is mis- it's sponsored by the miserableness and the decaying insanity from Mr. Dowd Khan and Mr. James Roxburgh. But mm. I recommend everyone who lives in Bolton, uh, if you're a good Boltonian like I am, like Mr. James is, go to KW on Derby Street. They do the mixing of green grocery and butchering for, for all Pakistanis with low prices and friendly people. So go to KW Fun. Wait a minute, let's do it. Let's do it. I just I would not have done this on the first episode of the podcast, but hey ho. Go to KW uh KW food stores in on Derby Street in Bolton. BL one three six there. That is one of the, it's one of the best food stores in Bolton. Go there. Go and get your vegetables, go and get your meat, and you'll know what probably tastes like. Now, we're to the point now, after that little uh, commercial for KW, um, which you should go to, by the way, you'd love it. Now, I've lost my train of thought. Yeah, so, it's because, it's because Dad, you went on a rant about the, the butchers. I was giving the butchers advertising. They're good butchers! But I know it. <laughs> But then again, I think I think it's the point of monopoly because they've converted green grocery and, and butchering into one profession. But I do think the point, and I agree with you, the point is that we don't want to all drive to our local green grocery, our local butcher, our local supermarket. We want to go to local store, stores. We want to go to one place and get what we require. It's why, for example, Amazon pretty much got a monopoly. I think it's all about Amazon as a monopoly. It's strong. Well, you've got eBay, I guess, which rivals it a bit. But Yes, I think eBay does still rival it. Um, certainly on the buying of products, eBay is still viable by a mile. But I'd say that Amazon is fast creating like Amazon Fresh, Amazon Prime, Prime Video, all sorts of on Amazon now, and people can get it. And Mrs. Thatcher, I mean, ultimately, here's the argument for choice, and I'll use it. Or Mrs. Thatcher, Mrs. Thatcher is about the NHS. It was wrong to about the NHS this way, but the idea, the methodology was sound, which is I want to go see my doctor on the day I want, at the time I want. With I want to be at some hospital or hospital. On the day I want, on the time I want, with the hospital I want, it might be convenient. Now, yeah. the idea of a consumer-oriented convenience system, we do it with education, we do it with schools, this mentality of the market, that principle, where you care for the consumers and the people in the system, and not the bureaucracy, is what government has to now think about. How do you have an education policy that actually helps students, not teaching unions? How do you have an NHS policy? Yes, put some money in. Certainly, put some much more money in than these cuts. Than these cretins are putting in. I said cults. Uh, I did not say anything wrong. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. These cuts are putting in. I'm going to be the first time I've ever said that word on this podcast. Good lord. Actually, as we listen to it, it's probably not the first time I said that word on this podcast. Um, these putting in, but how do you create an NHS policy that orients around the patient? And around not the provider, but the patient. Mm. Public services, particularly, as if you accept two tenants of public services, you can reform them. 
if you accept they are free of charge to all people in this country, no matter what, but if you also accept we have to improve quality for the, the, the individual in the system, then you can reform it. And it's the same with uh, industry. If you can accept that everyone in good level of wages are not in poverty, i.e. raise minimum wage, index wages from CPI, have unions, but also accept the profit concept, the industry is profit and competition, then you create good industry policy. Because then you'll have to listen to the CBI and the TUC. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to well, when it actually comes to the monopoly in in the in themselves, um, you won't see many crop. You will you very rarely see ones cropping up because people want to have the expression of choice. People want choice, even if they keep on going to the same one. They might it could be ninety nine percent of people might go to the same person every single time. But that one percent, that one, that one percent that goes and won't, wouldn't even even if it's the worst company, will go there because of choice. People want the ability to know that they have choice. They, they want to know that oh, do you know what? I don't agree with what they're doing. I can go somewhere else. That's why monopolies will very rarely ever succeed. Breaking up the public, the public bureaucracy, like breaking up the private bureaucracies, breaking up the public bureaucracies, so people can have choice. I think mean, the schools and health service. People need the right to choose, but not the right to charge. Not the right. The right to choose in public services is not the right to charge. You can still have a free system with a thing. For example, why shouldn't anyone be able to choose which hospital they want to go to, which doctor they'd like to see, which GP they'd like to see? What time at convenience would they like the operation? They like the medical appointment. Would they like the prescription drugs? Not, you know, yeah. not public private, because in healthcare, the private healthcare system is a universal con is a joke. Everyone knows it's a joke. Schools need much more choice, even with the private system, if need be, with private schools, independent schools, public schools competing with each other. And in my view, you need a private school in every community and you need to have vouchers for middle class families and grants total grants for local mm. This is a, this is a debate I think we've got to have on the left. I mean, I know I'm probably one of the few people on the left who believe in. I know we, even my Danes who are broadly of the centre left think this is bloody shit. I'm hearing here nonsense, nonsense. But you've got you can't just because you can't have choice in healthcare because we don't and you can never do it doesn't mean you can't you can't have choice in the school. Now you can have many choices of course. You can have choice in your public school, which public school you like to go to. Which but you, you do need. Don't, you you went to Bridgewater. You know the benefit of private school more than anyone. What's up to me? I'm trying to. I'm struggling to find any doubt. Being honest. Except <laughs> though, the Bridgewater is better than say Harrow. Yeah. By a mile. I would say by a mile. Harrow only got thirty-eight percent of their kids with fibre GCSEs. We got ninety-three. Yeah, but that 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 isn't the that isn't the issue with the teaching. That's the issue with the that's the issue with parents and students. Ah, which is very important, very important, because what that does is that says is because parents have a stakeholder within the system of schooling, they want their child to do well. Maybe that's the crazy solution on how to get parents more invested in the system, how to get children more invested. I mean, look the idea Michael Bloomberg did, where you pay low-income families if they got high level, if the children have high level of attendance. Maybe that's the solution. Maybe it's mm. just. Your laptops, not just textbooks. Maybe invest more in teaching assistants. 
There are many things you can do in the state framework, but choice is key. But I do say that yeah. not, you can't have choice in which military protects you or which fire service protects you. you, know, you and you don't need choice in that. That, that, that. that used to be the case. You know? That used to be the case, the private fire brigade. There were situations where you had a, had a little key brick in your house, on your house, which would say what insurance company you had. And you would phone that insurance company up and they would come and put out your house. And um, there's been plenty of cases where they've arrived and they realised they phoned the wrong insurance company, so they just packed up and left. This this happened all the time in the Victorian era, and then eventually they got brought in into a full-on uh, state-owned fire service. Well, I, remember, I remember Well, where are your papers? Well, they're in the house. Well, go and get them then. My car, my house is on fire. Well, if you haven't got your papers, we can't pull out your house then. We don't know which insurance company you've got with the fire <laughs> I mean, you can't have police insurance. You're not going to have seven different police providers. You know, there are certain things which need to be uh, without choice because they are essential means of services. But I think there are some, most private services you would expect them to be broken to choice. Mm, yeah. Less so, only with the schools I'd be advocating more choice. Every other public service needs to stay the way it is. Mm-hmm. Including schools. Um, okay. Anyway, so next, uh, next is a uh, free market capitalism. So, Doug, mm. um, is the notion of uh, the freedom to choose business is a smart concept as it prevents monopolies on the right and nationalisations on the left? Freedom to choose your in which business you want to go to because it forces other businesses to be effective. Because they know if they screw up, if I okay, and back to the energy companies again. The energy company go, we're raising your bills by 85% this year. Right, fine, raise our bills. I'm going to a different company. No, 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 we're worried about 8%. Ah, now we're talking, now we're talking. You know, but that's the way you do things. They know that if there's a threat of a consumer leaving their company, they're not going to whack up your prices. They can't. Because no. one thing they don't want is their business to go bust. And they know consumers leave, the business goes bust. So they've got to keep the consumer happy by keeping prices low. And that's the only thing within the free market, because then you allow this energy company. I think everyone would accept if there were 60 energy companies competing in this country right now on a regionalized basis, rather than three, prices would be lower. Yeah, definitely. Fuel providers, oil tanks, well, our petrol cars, seven petrol providers, rather than just three, well, two, really. And if you really want to think it this way, one, Shell, and BP and SO, three, we would have a much bigger, like, lower fuel prices. The free market, competing yeah. against each other and the freedom to choose, forces businesses to behave sensibly. But then there's the old charge in the book, what if all the businesses developing a consensus to just raise the prices anyway? But if you have 300 businesses rather than just Five, informing that consensus is slower, more tedious, and less effective. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, how do you think? How do you achieve real competition in the free market, and will it lower prices? Yeah, we are following my Chris. Um, I got these great crisps. I'm not gonna, don't worry, I'm not gonna advertise the crisps. I've already advertised KW. So they are from KW. You stop advertising everything now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna advertise. I'd like to. Um, I'd like to advertise 
uh, every single thing that I've I've seen today and uh, just. <laughs> but, no, 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 but KW are very good. I got one about butchers now we got for you. Anyway, how did you real condition in the marketplace? Simple. Say there has more than three companies in 10, 15, 20 companies being against each other. If it's energy, you've got to have 70 energy companies, not just three. With the schools, you've got to have private schools competing against the public schools. You've got to have voucher systems for, say, uh, things like, I don't know, uh, the railways. Let's have three rail firms in each region rather than just one rail firm in each region. Let's have actual competition. But the difference is, is the state, the government, have to oversee the actions of these companies to ensure fair play. The right, mm. to, the right to compete does not mean the right to cheat. And that's where the government... Mm, right. isn't it? The right to compete does not mean the right to cheat. But it, 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 the state then comes in and oversees the actions of these companies to ensure fair play and competition. It's like with the banks, right? If there were 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 banks, not Five, could the 2008 global financial crisis have happened? Well, yes. Would it have been anywhere near as bad as the 2008 financial crisis was? No. It's hmm. centralised around four banks in the country, Lloyd's, NatWest, RBS, and, uh, well, I mean, that's it really, nationwide, that the banking system collapsed. But if there was more competition within the banks, but regulation and oversight by the Bank of England, you would never get a financial crisis. Or yeah. a lot less people will be affected, but a lot more people will be in different banks. There'll be a lot more banks for people. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, was free market... Within the Sorry? Public, no choice, except for fire service, the police, the defence, and for the health service. But you can have choice, providing it's free of charge. You would never get, you know, with schools, we should never get to the point with schools where we charge people to go to school because that's condemnable. But we should allow the state system to know whilst we're going to invest in you, whilst we're going to put much more resources than the stories are right now, private schools are going to become a viable force so that you know that parents have got somewhere else to go if you screw them about. And you wouldn't even need the voucher wouldn't have to cost money because all you're saying is the £9,000 of people are going to give to the state school or simply transfer that into a private school. Look, mm. if anyone else on the left can come up with a genuinely good idea of how to stop state schools from being complacent and treating the students in person... Well, give people the right to choose what school they're going to in the state sector. Like, they have the right to choose your GP, you have the right to choose well, your dentist. Well, I think, okay, public school choice is the only flaw of public school choice. It's a good idea, but if you were to... For example, let's say uh, around the country, and let's say there's a person, say, in Manchester, are you not going to say that the public schools in Manchester are not going to link with each other and say, let's just screw them about because they can't go anywhere? Because obviously, Yes, I'm going to say that, absolutely. That's exactly not, that's not going to happen. You would say, but it is something I'd say, I would not be frustrated. I'm not, I... Uh, so the entirety of Greater Manchester, good. Do you know what? Let's, let's, let's just, let's, let, let's make sure these children don't get an education. Is, oh. that, is that what the entirety of Greater Manchester are going to do? Not Greater Manchester, Manchester itself. So we've got only six schools in Manchester. There you go. We 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 you can go. We then you can go to Bolton. You know, like the schools in Bolton. You can go to I know the schools in Monty. You know, like the schools in Monty. You can go to the schools in Watts. You know, like the schools in Watts. And you can go to the schools 
in the city of Manchester. You know, the schools in the city of Manchester, you can go to the schools down south. If you don't have a, there's plenty of options down. The pop, the private school system works better. Trafford, Trafford's got another, got quite a good school. But Trafford's very good school, I know. But I don't know. I think maybe, I think maybe the case, right? But that there is some form of public school choice. I understand that. But I think there's got to be some form of choice in the system because otherwise you get monopolies. Monopolies are not desirable. We've established three times on this podcast with three questions. But it's a, it's a complicated one, isn't it? Right, yeah, it is. So, was okay. I need to go in uh, four minutes' time, so we'll make these quick, shall we? Questions done, and we will get to the end of this podcast. Uh, actually, all right, let's do three and four, and I'll do, do three and four. Okay, so was free market capitalism the reason we ended up in the Great Depression? Okay. Oh, well, that's a pretty quick question, and it was, yeah, lastly, fair tactics from. There was not enough regulation, not enough taxes, not enough oversight. And that's the exact same reason we have the 2008 welfare crisis. Boom. Okay, so is profits as incentive an exclusive tenant to a free market economy? Well, uh, it's not a tenant of the social market economy. It's not. Well, up to a point. Look, socialized and nationalized industries do not have the profit motive. Now, the fact they are very profitable in some cases, the gyro banks, British Rail, and the AP, are possible industries, but they don't operate on the profit notion, do they? Now, the mm. market economy and the free market economy says profit comes first. Now, it is, but should profit come first in everything, if you do it sensibly, it's why I'm a social marketer, not a free marketer, because social marketers would say, yes, profit comes first by treating employees with dignity, treating them as people, treating them with respect and compassion, and they'll be more productive, and then profits go upwards that way. What we have now says, Profits come first by cutting costs, raising revenue, and screwing everyone over. It, it, mm. This country can, is not a socialist country, but nor are we a, a free market country. We're a country that believes in fair play, competition, and helping people. Helping them, which you can only do in a social market context, not the free market, or definitely not in a social socialised context. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so uh, and then the final question of today's podcast episode. And very good timing, might I say, very good timing. Um, what a form of competition and a lack of regulation cause further economic problems? If you do not have regulation of things, abuses will happen, people will cheat, and people will make cheaper decisions. We saw it in the banks with mortgage-backed securities. Lack of competition can cause a lot of problems. It breeds complacency, it breeds ignorance, it breeds bullying. But if you do not regulate things correctly, emphasise correctly, you will see cheating, you will see fraudulent stuff, and you will see an overall reduction of quality and sense. That's why regulation, I'm a capitalist, but I believe in regulating things, I still believe in government. Too many things. Not things, because there are things they run masterfully. The fire service, the police, the NHS, the schools, well, to a lesser extent, still to an extent, and the defence forces of this country. They run it masterfully. But the private, you've got to have regulation of the rest. And public investment and a public stakeholder in the industry. Government can be a partner of industry, can be a cooperator of industry, can be a friend of industry, but it does not have to be the owners of industry. Yeah. Private enterprise and private ownership does not mean you are saying you believe the state should do fuck all. The state can do a lot. The state should do a lot. 
but it should work along with industry, the employees, the unions, and not seek to dominate them. It should work with them, and in the public sector, it should take total ownership because you don't need privatizing the privatization of the public sector in any means. Right. Mm. Next week, well, I don't know what we're going to do next week, but well, well, fine. It's a job, a fascinating topic to discuss. Maybe the US defense budget. I'll talk about the US, you'll see. Maybe the, maybe the idea of looking at the Great Society, talking about the Great Society in depth that Lyndon Johnson did. That'd be fascinating. Yeah. So we'll do that. That's going to be on next Friday. I'm going to quickly summarize this because James has to go. So, wait a second. We are now going to be recording our podcast live in person on Friday. If we cannot, because you know, he's James is busy, I'm busy. We'll find an alternative weekday, or more likely, we'll just say record it on the weekend on Zoom as we're doing right now. But we are going to now, most of our episodes will be released Friday evening. We'll record them at seven o'clock in the evening on Friday, so they'll be released by nine o'clock in the evening on the Friday uh, for you to all listen to. So, and we're going to get hopefully better audio quality because I'm not going to, I'll be talking to James in person. If you, know, if you want to know what I'm talking about, Look at the History of the Labour Leaders Part 2 episode of our podcast where we did it face-to-face. Uh, conceded, we were drinking a lot of Pepsi at the time, so I was a bit more hyper than I normally am, but I mean, I've a high bar to reach. <laughs> but it was very informative. So next Friday, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, we're prepping it, 7 o'clock, we're recording it, and by 9 o'clock, you'll have it uploaded onto your Spotify or wherever. Uh, well, you only get it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I think. No, no, no. Google Podcasts, that's it. Google Podcasts. Um, yeah. Well, until then, take care. Goodbye. Bye.